Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through Ephesians, and in the previous program, I was in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And in the previous message, I was spending time talking about the spiritual blessings that we have received. I will spend more time talking about these in the following verses. But in this program, I'm going to spend time in verse 4, the beginning of verse 4, where it says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I'm going to be focusing on the beginning of this verse, the beginning of verse 4, with regards to choosing us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, there is a belief concerning this verse and many others that I do need to spend some time talking about, even though I do not believe in this point of view. But it is the most common point of view in the Christian world, and so I do have to spend some time talking about it because I have found that many people listen to what it is that I present as if I am saying things that fit into their existing beliefs. And when they don't, well, they just simply don't make any sense to these people. They don't understand what it is that I'm saying because they are assuming that what I am saying will fit into things that they already believe. But in this case, I have found that it is better to be upfront and direct and say, I simply do not believe in some of the things that people believe concerning this idea of God choosing individuals to go to heaven and other individuals to go to hell. Now, of course, there's a lot to say. There is a lot to look over. There are many different verses that people point to when it comes to this subject. I cannot do it all in one breath. I can't do it all at once. I have to address these things one at a time. And because this subject has become so big over the centuries... It will require a lot of patience for people to go through this subject and pay attention to the fact that there can be alternative points of view when it comes to this subject, as well as many others. So to begin with, I want to say that I'm going to spend some time talking about things that I do not believe in order to make the division clear between what it is that I do believe and what I don't believe. The most common point of view in the Christian world that has existed ever since the founding of the church is that God has chosen individuals to be saved and other individuals to be lost. This is the most common, the most popular point of view for a lot of different reasons. I do take a different position that it is a mutual decision. It is a mutual choice that God participates in this decision and you participate in this decision as an individual. And the simple way to describe this is to say that God has presented a covenant 
He has presented the criteria. He has presented the definition of what it means to be saved, what it means to be a child of God. He has presented that to us as individuals, and he has invited us to surrender to what he has described. He has invited us to believe what he has revealed. He has invited us to choose whether or not we want to be in his life or spend our lives ignoring him and his existence. That this is a choice that we get to have, and it is also a choice that he gets to have with regards to who he is going to have in his life and who he doesn't want to have in his life. And I'll come back to this a little bit later in this message. Now, I have found, again, that most people believe something different. Most people believe that God has just simply decided who is going to be saved and who isn't. And if you're one of those who he decided you get to be a Christian, well, good for you. And if you're not, well, that's just too bad. You know, you don't have anything to do with it. It's not about what you believe or what you don't believe. If you're going to believe anything, it's only going to be because God has decided that you get to believe something about him. But others, no, he's decided that they do not get to believe in him, that this is what a lot of people want to hold on to. Now, when it comes to this belief that God is the one who decides who's going to be saved and who isn't, you really have to talk to people individually because each person seems to have their own reasons as to why they want to hold to these kinds of beliefs. So presenting a radio program like this is difficult because I'm talking to a lot of people at one time and each person has got their own ideas concerning these things. And they've got their own reasons that they deal with more or they like more with regards to why they want to believe these things. So if I speak of something that just isn't that interesting to you at all, you have to have patience and wait until maybe I will, or we have to have an individual conversation about this. It's a tough subject because it really is an individual issue. Now, in the midst of that, I can mention some of the most common reasons that I have found that people will hold on to with regards to wanting to believe that God chooses who is going to be saved and who isn't. Probably the most common reason that I have found when talking with people about these things and asking them, why is it that you really want to believe that God has chosen you above other people? He has chosen you specifically to be saved, to have a place in the kingdom of heaven, but he has chosen that these other people around you, he has chosen that they are going to go to hell. Why is it that you believe this, or what is it about this belief that you really like? When I talk with people in that way and I ask them questions like that, I think the most common answer that I have gotten is that they believe that they are special that they are unique, that God loves them, but he doesn't love other people. And of course, because this is God's choice and his choice alone, they are considered to be a special person who God loves because of their existence, just because they exist. Now, of course, there are a lot of other people who exist, But God obviously 
has decided that he's not going to love those people. But you, on the other hand, he's going to love you. Now, of course, there are variations, and you have to consider people individually. There are some people who believe that God is going to save everybody. He loves everybody. There are some people who believe that. I, of course, do not. But there are people who do want to hold to those beliefs. But of those who believe in this uniqueness, in this special decision, that they are the ones who God loves and other people he does not love, when a person believes this, there is a special opportunity to feel an enormous amount of pride. Enormous. And I have found that this does seem to be present with a lot of these people's attitudes and in the way that they relate to other people, that they are the special people of God who God decided they would be just because they exist. It has nothing to do with what they decided to believe or with what they decided to reject. It only has to do with what God has decided. So there is great appeal to this because if God is going to love you or not, it's only based on the fact that you exist. And people will proclaim that they do feel loved in this way. I will say that I can understand that they can define love in this way, but I don't think that that is the way that God loves. It is the way that they want to be loved, but it's not necessarily the way that God does love. But this is one of the reasons why people want to believe this kind of stuff. They want to embrace this because it gives them an opportunity to be special, to be loved by God because of their existence. When asking other people about this, another common answer that I get is that people will say they want to believe that God chooses people on an individual basis because they do not want to deal with the reality that some of the people who were important in their lives may have died and gone to hell. They just don't want to believe that. You know, they may have a family member or a close friend or somebody who was significant in their life, and yet this person rejected the gospel. They just simply did not want to believe in Jesus, but this person was important to them. And so they want to see them. They want this person to be in the kingdom of heaven. They don't want this person to go to hell. And so this is a convenient belief. Just believe that God decides who's going to go to heaven and who isn't going to go to heaven. And if this person is supposedly a reasonably good person, well, then of course God would let them into heaven. This is the way that people think. This is the way that people want to believe. And so because they are concerned about the consequences that other people might experience because of their choices, their decision to reject God, they would rather God make this decision because if it was a mutual decision, a decision of both God and the other person together, well, that obviously isn't going to work out so well because these people rejected the true and living God. So the way that people deal with that is they just say, well, God is going to make all of these ultimate decisions. And so I want to embrace this belief that it is all about him and it's nothing about us, that it's all his choice. It's not ours. In fact, he made these choices before the foundation of the world, before anybody was even born. 
I just want to believe this because it's the only hope I've got that this person who was important in my life might be in heaven. It has nothing to do with God. It has to do with them. This is something that is pure fantasy. And so there really isn't very much to say about it. And I think that's another reason why people find it attractive, because you just can't argue it. You can't argue against it easily, unless you want to just simply declare that this person is definitely not saved either, which can be a good approach in order to get them into thinking about whether or not there really is a God, whether or not there really is a definitive gospel. Sometimes explaining to a person that you don't think that they're saved at all can be a way to at least get this person to think about this issue a little bit more. And maybe they will think about it enough in order to turn to the subject, see what God has had to say about this, and maybe they can be saved. Because in my opinion, those who I have encountered who hold to this belief, I have not found any evidence that would really suggest that these people are saved either. I have not found that these kinds of people know the Lord either. Now, there are other reasons, and again, you have to take each person on an individual basis, but there are other reasons, and some of these reasons they won't even tell you are the reasons. They'll talk about other things, other things that are not important to them at all, to give you something to argue about that they don't even care about. For example, there's another reason why people want to believe that God decided who's going to be saved and who isn't going to be saved before they were even born. One of the most common reasons that people will not speak about is that they don't want to be responsible. They don't want to be responsible for their own decisions, for their own beliefs. They want somebody else to be responsible for what they believe. And so this is convenient. You know, this one fits. This fits really well for those people who don't want to have any responsibility anyway. Just believe that God is 100% responsible for this decision. It has nothing to do with what we believe or what we reject. It's just all about what God decided. That way, they have no responsibility whatsoever. This also leads to another conclusion and that there's nothing for them to participate in. They don't have to participate in anything whatsoever, unless they feel like it, of course. But in general, they don't have anything that they will have to participate in because it's all about God. You know, they don't have to participate in the sense that they don't ever have to think about God. They don't have to pursue a knowledge of him at all. They don't have to be engaged in anything that might be related to the propagation of the gospel. They don't have to participate in anything because it's all about God. And so they will find a belief like this very attractive because it frees them up from any responsibility concerning what they believe. And it also frees them up from participating in anything that might be related to the propagation of the gospel. Now, there are others who take a different approach. They take what's called a theological approach, that they want to believe this because of the study of God, because of a kind of God that they want to have in their life, or the kind of God who they think exists. From a theological point of view, there are other kinds of concerns. For example, I think the most common concern I have encountered is that they don't want God to be in a situation where he is not in total absolute control. 
They just don't want to have a God like that. They want to have a God who is in control of every molecule in the universe and that nobody's going to believe or decide anything that is contrary to what he wants because if anything happens outside of the boundaries of his control, well, then he's not in total control. He's not the kind of God that they want to have. They want to have a God who is in absolute total control. Otherwise, he's not as godly as they would like him to be. So, for example, for God to present the new covenant and say, this is it, this is the new covenant, is there anyone out there who would like to participate in this covenant? For him to do that and then leave it up to all of the individuals who ever exist in the world to decide if they're going to embrace that covenant or not, this is unacceptable to a lot of people because they are concerned, you know, of course, they're concerned that some people might surrender to that covenant who God doesn't want to have in his life or others who he wants to have in his life may decide not to surrender to that covenant. And then what? He's not going to get all that he wants. He's obviously not in total control. What kind of a God is that? This is what people will think. This is what people generally believe. Now, there's a long, glorious history of this. This goes all the way back to pagan Greek philosophy. This was the philosophy of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle when it came to God. That God is the one who is in total and absolute control. He has to be. Otherwise, he wouldn't qualify as a God. And so also, if a person is going to be in the kingdom of heaven or not, if they're going to be saved or not, then he has to make these decisions on an individual basis. And of course, because of his eternal existence, he made these decisions already before the world was even created. This is a pagan philosophical point of view that was well described and documented in Greek philosophy. Now, this, of course, was contrary to the Mosaic point of view of God, or what could have been referred to as Jewish theology, or what is described in the scriptures, because what we see in the scriptures is a God who is an active participant in the lives of people, and he invites them to choose to do the right thing and stop doing the wrong thing. And if they do that which is evil and they don't do that which is good, then he is going to perhaps intervene in their lives and cause some terrible things to happen. But if they will do that which is good and not do that which is evil, then he will bless them in return. This is what I was describing earlier with regards to Deuteronomy chapter 28. It's all based on an individual decision and the collective decision of the nation of Israel as a whole, that if they would obey the law, if they would do all that he commanded, then he would bless them. And if they did not, then he would curse them. The foundation of the Bible, of the God who is described in the Bible, the foundation of that is all about choice. It's all about decisions that people make on an individual basis and also on a collective basis, but it is all about people making individual choices and decisions. 
Adam and Eve decided to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't as if God just imposed that upon them and forced them to eat from that tree because, you know, he just wanted them to do that. And, of course, because God has to be in control of everything, he was in control of that. And they didn't have any choice in the matter at all. For them to experience the punishment that they experienced, for them to be kicked out of the Garden of Eden, well, that was all God anyway. It had nothing to do with them making decisions. They just suffered because God decided that they were going to suffer. This is the kind of stuff that people end up with. So there is a difference between the theological point of view that was expressed in, as an example, pagan Greek philosophy, and the theological point of view that was expressed in the scriptures that has been held to ever since the establishment of the nation of Israel. There was a war that was fought over this topic. The Maccabean Wars were fought over what kind of a God are we going to believe in. The pagan Greeks who were in charge of that region during the 2nd century BC were trying to impose these kinds of paganistic, philosophical, theological beliefs on the Jews in Israel at this time, and this was part of why they revolted and we had the Maccabean Wars. So from a historical point of view, there was a war fought over this particular subject and some others that went along with it, but for some odd reason, the Christian world has embraced what the Jews fought against in the Maccabean Wars. How did this happen? Well, it turned out that this new way, this new faith, this new belief did make its way into the Gentile world, into the pagan world, into the world of people who were not well versed in the scriptures, who did not know the God of Israel. And so when they were exposed to Christianity, when they were exposed to Jesus, they went through the Bible and they interpreted the Bible from the point of view of what they already believed. In other words, they studied the scriptures and the God presented in the scriptures through the lens of pagan Greek philosophy. And this was the development of the early church in the Gentile world. And this belief continued for many centuries. Historically speaking, I believe it was Augustine who documented these beliefs to the extent where he was considered to be the most influential Christian theologian of all time. And it's been well explained in just about every article that has been written for encyclopedias about Augustine that he was considered to be the most influential Christian theologian of all time because he interpreted the Bible from the perspective of pagan Greek philosophy. And of course, because most people are pagans by nature... Most people do not know the true and living God. Most people believe in these kinds of things like destiny and providence already. It was easy for the majority of the people to embrace this point of view that I don't think is valid at all. It was easy for them to embrace it because they already had beliefs that were consistent with what Augustine was presenting. And so, of course, he became the most popular and the most influential Augustine was the most influential theologian within the Catholic world. And then when Protestantism began, it was Calvin who took all that Augustine taught and he repackaged it for the Protestant world. And that is the history for how 
this theology has become the most predominant theology when it comes to this subject today. I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net